to the newest, latest Movie Guys podcast, just two weeks old, covering every single Harrison Ford movie in his career. One per episode. Now, it would be a bad time to jump off a bridge, because we're about to enter the Ford Fiesta. That's right, we want to watch every Harrison Ford movie that he's ever appeared in, so why not make a show about it? I'm Paul, never tell me the odds, Preston. And I'm Adam, you said you wanted to be around when I made a mistake, and this might be it, wit. That's right, we're covering every Harrison Ford movie. So if you're joining us here on episode two of the show, you're going to be a world of, what the hell is this? Uh, in terms of Harrison Ford movies, we're still well away from American Graffiti and close to a year from Call of the Wild. So if you're wondering how Harrison Ford spent his early years of his career, wonder no more. We're going back to 1967 with his second major motion picture, the Jack Lemmon, Peter Falk pair-up comedy, Love. That's L-U-V if you're ever looking for it out there in the world. Right. Some quick housekeeping. Of course, please chime in your thoughts at themovieguys.net or the movie guys at the movie guys all over social media. Check out the vast movie guys archives and give us some likes. We're about 75 subscribers away from a thousand on YouTube. So help us out there and hit the alerts bell to receive immediate updates when we throw some movie nonsense up there. I can arrange that. And if you're like we were a week and a half ago thinking to yourself, what the hell is love about? We've got your answers coming up in our patented movie guys recap of the movie. But first, What's new in the world of Harrison Ford, Paul? Well, you know, there's uh, not much in the world of productions that he may appear in that's new. But James Mangold, of course, we announced will be the director of the new Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. We'll call it Indiana Jones 5 for now. He may have, this is, you know, this is how the internet is. It's like, there's no Harrison Ford news, so we'll make some. <laughs> Maybe he said where the new Harrison Ford movie is going to take place. Because he tweeted out something about the Velvet Underground uh, and he just loves the Velvet Underground. And he said in this tweet, Note, I'm mentally living in 60s New York City right now, because that's where all the movies I'm working on take place. Uh-huh. So look, timeline-wise, if you're jumping ahead from where Crystal Skull took place, right. you're in the 60s, he's got some sort of history with New York, the character does, I believe, right? So there's uh, all good reason. Of course, it's all conjecture, but there's plenty of good reason why the next Harrison Ford-led Indiana Jones movie could take place in the Big Apple. Is that near Pittsburgh? I mean, how cool is that? I mean, you think of, like, Last Crusade, you know, he goes to a city, he goes underneath, what is that, Venice? He go, You know, he goes underneath the city, there's all these mysterious secrets under Venice that aren't really under Venice, but of course we live in America, so we assume that probably there are tombs underneath Venice right now. There probably aren't, but... Hey, New York, 60s, like uh, adding some mystery of what's maybe going on underneath the underneath the city there or in the city. Oh, man. I did go to one of those catacombs in Italy where they've taken the bones of dead people and just decorated the place. Millions of them. Oh. Well, maybe not millions. Thousands of them, for sure. Maybe even 100,000. Oh, rats. Skulls and bones and just making this crazy artwork, decorating all the doorways and walls and of this whole tomb catacombs so chainsaw massacre isn't it <laughs> yeah that's where you expect to find any of jones i'd be curious to see if there's any of that under new york but there's gonna be some globe trotting obviously it's in indian jones but yeah i mean some of it's going to take place in new york city we think 
We think. <laughs> but that's we the think. extent of the news. But of course, you can always Google Harrison Ford news and just see what you get. And this week, it got these exciting headlines. Harrison Ford gets a bike rack installed in his car after purchasing a brand new two-wheeler in L.A. So Sweet. He bought oh, a no, bike Oh, no, he's going to crash that two-wheeler. Shit. I hope he's okay because, <laughs> yeah. you know, the guy that invented the Segway died on the Segway. Yeah, is that the new way for a guy in his 70s to potentially kill himself? No, I always thought it was a plane, but maybe he goes out on a bike. I mean, the guy's crashed like three planes and a helicopter and walked away. Yeah, no, the bike's not taking him out. And uh, he purchased it at Helen Cycles in Santa Monica. You imagine just going to Helen Cycles because hey, I need to get a new pump, and then there's Harrison Ford. Yeah, buy, buying a bike. Uh, yeah. I'm looking for a, <laughs> I'm looking for a two wheeler, some sort of scooter. Harrison Ford waited over two hours to receive his first dose of COVID nineteen vaccine in LA County, which is, uh, you know, he's the demographic to get one, so yeah. he got his first one. And he's yeah. royalty. I mean, it's like has the Queen gotten hers? I mean, Harrison Ford's gotten his now, because that's that's the royalty in America. That is correct. And again, you're just behind Harrison Ford in line waiting for your shot. Hey, uh, yeah, crazy, right? Like, how do you strike up a conversation <laughs> with Harrison Ford? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I loved you. you in love. I think that's probably what the person behind. Uh... <laughs> hey, so in Dead Heat and America Round, here, answer me a few questions. You really, really triggered the plot there, didn't you? <laughs> I think it was just a one-liner, but... Uh, and my favorite thing is Harrison Ford almost gave up show business after working with Jim Morrison. Yes, yes. When I put together the calendar of all the the the, the, the Harrison Ford dates, I came across the fact that he was briefly a roadie for the Doors, and in a docu- famous documentary uh, a concert, he picked up the he was given the second camera and shot a bunch of the Doors concert. Yeah, but you read that headline and you're like, oh no, did he like? Uh did you have such a horrible time with Jim Morrison that he almost gave up showbiz? Nope, just the opposite. He got roped in. He's like, I could be a rock star. I could, I could handle time on the road with the, with a band. But Go live on a commune is what, what he said in the interview. It was like, yeah, I thought of actually leaving everything, going and off to live in a commune because everybody that I was around was doing that sort of lifestyle. And I was like, well, everything we need is here. He really bought into it, really loved it. And that's not even a current interview. So why this is uh, jumping the top of your Google uh, responses, who knows? But... I'd rather see him there than know the latest about, you know, Ariana Grande. So after last week, you know, we, we <laughs> talked about there's all these photos of Harrison Ford shopping in grocery stores and we made fun of it. And uh, I actually looked up some this week for potential uh, Ford news. And I could look at photos of him shopping all day. I mean, I really spent a lot of time and maybe I was avoiding editing Dead Heat on a merry-go-round, but... I mean, I could just look at him picking out bread all day. And he's yeah. just, he's still Harrison Ford while he's doing it. <laughs> but he's got to get the right butter, right? So I've got to get the right butter. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. Maybe I want margarine. And he's got to figure that margarine. out. <laughs> Do you have parquet? Well, you mentioned this date in Ford history, so let's get to it. Right, so we're recording this in the last week of January. So uh, into the let's pick some important dates from end of January, beginning of February throughout Harrison Ford history. And this is a good one because uh, this was when he was awards fodder for a spell. And January thirty first, nineteen eighty seven, Harrison Ford is nominated for a Golden Globe for the Mosquito Coast. Right. Which seems right, because it seems like a Golden Globe nominated movie, more than an Academy Award nominated movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and and of course, we're going to see this in his career as we continue uh, that, you know, he became big box office success. And then, you know, every actor, once they've 
once they've hit that first goal of like, okay, now I gotta make some money as an actor, I gotta be in a hit, now it's time to go for some street cred, some credibility, some awards, you know? And February 2nd in 2006, Firewall is released. Now, this is a movie that we saw, but probably have to re, uh, re-educate ourselves about if we're going to be competing in this movie trivia showdown, because no doubt any Harrison Ford question would probably about be about this just to try and stump you. Yeah, Firewall is one of those ones where when I approached you about this project, I was like, I am not a Harrison Ford completist, and it's largely that two, you know, 2000s movies of his. Firewall is a classic example of like, I couldn't even tell you what Firewall is about. Oh, you haven't seen it? No, oh, you haven't seen that. that. Haven't seen extreme measures. I mean, I really don't think I've seen extraordinary Harrison... measures. You did it again last ah, week. You asked me to clarify the difference between the two movies, and you did it. Again. Oh my god! <laughs> no, but here's extraordinary measures released in January, and now Firewall released in a fe- in February. So yeah, you're right. This is a time of of his career when they weren't all the the big Fourth of July and Christmas blockbusters. He gets back there again, but. But like all of America, you may be asking, what's love got to do with Harrison Ford's career? Well, if you don't know this film, and chances are you don't, we'll try and help you out with our patented Movie Guys recap. Love begins with an end. Harry Berlin is contemplating suicide on a New York City bridge. But Harrison Ford doesn't play Harry Berlin, or you would have heard of this movie. Instead, it's another legend, Jack Lemmon. Also, he doesn't kill himself, as someone comes along and convinces him not to jump, and it just happens to be an old friend. Convenient. His friend's name is Milt Manville, played by Peter Falk, who takes him home to meet his wife, Ellen, who is introduced to the great piece of Elaine May comedy, a chart depicting how little sex they've had. You will notice that at the beginning of our marriage, the red horizontal line hits the blue vertical line at the rate of some 15 to 16 times a week. But as the marriage progresses, this becomes less and less and less, until a period that starts some 18 months ago, after which the red horizontal line does not hit the blue vertical line once. Wackiness ensues, which I believe was the working title of the Murray Shiskel play this movie is based on. In an altruistic move, Milt convinces Harry to cozy up to his wife so she won't be alone after he leaves her for his mistress. Other wackiness includes the trap door in Milt's living room floor, under which is an antique stash. Then, Vandergist and Dalrymple, two antiques enthusiasts, come over in the middle of dinner to rummage through his bric-a-brac, and nobody even looks at this weirdness except Harry and all the people watching the movie. We meet Milt's side piece, Linda, who, in order to meet Hollywood's 1960s cultural exploitation protocols, is doing the hot new fitness thing, yoga. You know, for kids. Harry and Ellen go to Coney Island, where they kind of suddenly declare their love for each other. She then pulls a knife during a teacup ride to kill herself when she realizes Milt is having an affair. This is all to remind you that this is based on a play. But that's not what this movie's really about. For our purposes on the Ford Fiesta, this movie is really the story of a poor beatnik in a convertible Pontiac who is backed into by a Volkswagen bug in the hands of Ellen's erratic driving. The driver, incensed, leaves his car, smacks the Volkswagen, says hi to Ellen, and punches Harry in the face. That raging beatnik is played by none other than Harrison Ford. We'll discuss the scene in entirely too much depth in our guest segment. <laughs> but first, quicker than a blackout in a play, Harry and Ellen are suddenly married and boom, they're in Niagara Falls, where they play an improv game one-upping each other to prove their love called What Can I Do to Make You Leave Me? Hello and welcome to What Can I Do to Make You Leave Me? Who do we have with us here today? Harry Berlin, 
Hello, Harry. First question, if I stomped your feet, would you leave me? Okay, but what if I need you in the nuts? However, what if I ripped your shirt? Well, that was comical. And if I cut your suspenders? My pants fell down. Wah, wah. You know, stopping the improv game for a second, this confirms the long-held belief that there are two places where people just always have large scissors on them, Bugs Bunny cartoons and plays. Is that right? Anyway, after all this testing of one another, it turns out they're perfect for each other. They're both miserable assholes. <laughs> so Ellen and Milt divorce in another game of improv one-upsmanship called How Bad Was My Childhood? Hello and welcome to How Bad Was My Childhood? Who do we have with us here today? Okay, for oh, this okay. one, can we just play the clip? Why did they use to feed you for breakfast? Glass filled with two-thirds water and one-third milk. Coffee grounds, that's what I got. <laughs> you were both lucky and you didn't know it. Lucky? Did anybody ever call you a bastard? A relative or a stranger? Well, here's something the play can hang its hat on. This reminds me of a comedy bit about the four Yorkshiremen done by Monty Python years later. I had to get up in the morning at 10 o'clock at night, half an hour before I went to bed, eat a lump of cold poison, work 29 hours a day down mill and pay mill on it for permission to come to work, and when we got home, our dad would kill us and dance about in our grave singing hallelujah. And while we're enjoying Monty Python, covered by Falk and Lemon, uh, retroactively, I guess, did, did you know this sketch was also done with Alan Rickman and Eddie Izzard? I mean, is, there's no bigger joy than hearing Alan Rickman deliver Monty Python lines. We used to have to get up out of the lake at 3 a.m., eat a handful of hot gravel, and then work 20 hours a day at the mill for twopence a month, and then Dad would beat us about the head and the neck with a broken bottle if we were lucky. And you try telling the young people of today that, and they won't believe you. The takeaway here is there isn't much that feels like love did first, but maybe this? The movie cuts to six weeks later and everyone's miserable. Harry won't get a job and can't eat breakfast without his paper hat. In Milt's marriage, Linda won't get out of bed surrounded by chocolates and bonbons. This is one newspaper comic strip treatment of the human condition. Is this adapted from the Lockhorns or Andy Cap? Lockhorns. If you want to know what it feels like to watch love, I offer the following plot point. While Harry turns the trapdoor basement into a doctor's office so that he can go to medical school, Ellen and Milt reconnect at a bric-a-brac shop and decide to remarry, which is convenient because Linda decided to leave Milt when Vandergist steals the chaise lounge she was sleeping on. We have a client who wants a chaise long. Then, Harry gets a job in Tracy's department store as a Charlie Chaplin short in which the tramp gets a job as an elevator operator. Milt's new ex-wife, Linda, happens to be shopping there and crushes Linda in the elevator with his ineptitude. Sure, it sounds horrific, but in the next scene, the coyote was fine. To play and not enough sitcom? Well, <laughs> next, Jack and Chrissy try to send Harry and Linda up together at a Japanese restaurant, not knowing he'd almost killed her. She screams, he panics, and goes blind, screaming the best line in the movie, Man wasn't meant to travel vertically, we'll never make it to the moon. Eventually, more stage play antics bring everyone back to the bridge where a murder turns into a suicide into an accident in which everyone eventually proves their love by jumping off the bridge. All four jump and survive falling from the bridge, which is 0 for 6 in being a good suicide option in this particular story. This might be the type of movie people complain aren't made anymore, but they're probably not thinking of this. They're probably thinking of something more like Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> And that's Love, buddy! 
And that's your recap of love. Probably not a recap for you, because chances are you've not seen this movie. But we did that work for you. Now You're you welcome. don't have to see the movie Love. That we're going to discuss at nauseum. <laughs> yes. Oh, and who is that voice? Why, it's our guest. We asked uh, someone else, a friend of ours, to see the movie, too, who apparently we don't like. And he is uh, a movie guy and uh, a many times participant in all of our craziness. And and self-proclaimed Harrison Ford fanatic, and we'll show you just how in a second. Stephen, Stephen Lewis, Lewis welcome everybody. To the show. Welcome Stephen to our Lewis. brand new show. As yeah. excited to be here, uh, yeah. you you guys are discussing Harrison Ford at a at a in a you know level of of depth of his career <laughs> I did not expect. Now, normally, you know, a show would have on a Harrison Ford expert who's authored many books, or perhaps a Harrison Ford co-star or crew member from one of his films. We bring Steve on because. Well, he's gettable. Also, also, he's uh, willing to watch love. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's all you could get on short notice. But you know, in addition to all that, he has talent, uh, and this is a good carnival trick or something, right? Maybe this is a Venice boardwalk thing where you could you could make some oh, money Steve's doing make this. Some money on this. Uh, if you if you were to play stump stump the Lewis, I guess would you could call it, where Steve he tells Steve a, a year. Now, is there a frame a framework for these years? Is there any year in, in Harrison Ford's career? Between the years of 1980 and 99, there is a Harrison Ford movie for each year. One and only one. So between those years, you can name the year. I can tell you the Harrison Ford movie that came out that year. Also the Woody Allen That's one, Woody but we Allen won't go there. puts out one movie a year too. Right? Exactly. He just continued to do it, but Harrison Ford kind of stopped at a certain point. Well, I think the funniest variant is to name the year and have you name both the uh, Harrison Ford movie and the Woody Allen movie. That's what makes me laugh. I can do that, but I'll defer to Paul's wishes on this one. <laughs> what would this show be titled if it was not the Ford Fiesta, but a show about Woody uh, Allen? It would be called Orphan Annie Hall uh, because yeah. he likes him. That's <laughs> why he's broken his streak recently. Of one movie <laughs> year. He's been broken. No, yeah. he hasn't. You, you still can list for Woody Allen still does one movie per year, regardless of anyone wants to see it or not. I think he went to Amazon with wa uh, Wagon Wheel, with Wonder Wheel, and then uh, and I don't think we've seen him since. That we? might be the first year he, he didn't laid release low. one. But I'm always shocked because I think he stopped making movies, and I look and I go, oh my God, he made five movies in the last five years? Like, what are these? Anyway, this isn't a show about Woody Allen. Although, uh, 1983, Return of the Jedi and Zelig. <laughs> Here's here's where I don't give my money to Stephen Lewis, the carnival barker, playing his game out on the street. Okay, 1987. I was just explaining this one to Adam. Ah. Harrison Ford had no movie released in 1987. However, he had two that came out in 1988. One Correct. which was held over from 87. So I count Frantic as being in 1987 mm, and Working Girl is 1988. It came out in the uh, winter of '87, the spring of '88. But this is where we'll. This right. is where big money is. Throw my dollars on the line with you. Presumed innocent Boulevard. and Alice. <laughs> <laughs> well, All now right. you see so why he's here to talk about the movie. '86, <laughs> Mosquito Coast, Hannah and her sister. There we go. <laughs> And the Woody Allen connection will not be, will not be completely irrelevant once we get into discussing love, which includes Elaine May and 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 as a lot yeah. of that Jewish angst, you know. All right. Well, uh, love, uh, not a prestige pick, a a, a uh, 
what's the word? A bomb of the time. I mean, a lot of people I mean, called it, it a bomb. It seemed like a quickie. The talent right? involved. It's, it's shot like Brady Bunch. <laughs> now, I know very little of the production history of this movie. I do, however, know that the play it was adapted from and based on was quite a sensation in its day. So, so that we're talking about from 1964, Love, directed by Mike Nichols, uh, hot on the heels of his humongo success with Barefoot in the Park, Neil Simon's first play, starring Alan Arkin, his first major Broadway thing, his first stage thing of any kind uh, after having left Second City. And um, so the... And the play won Tony's for for best play and, and best uh, best script. So a prestige project on Broadway. I don't know anything about the history of the development of the script of uh, the movie script. In fact, until Adam gave me the link, I didn't even know it existed. So that's the fascinating thing that the Ford Fiesta will reveal to you is that these movies <laughs> exist. I was and I was in a production of Love back in the '90s. I played Milt and. I still didn't know it was a movie. I didn't know it was a movie then. Of course, back then, there was no jumping on the no, internet to try and find love. you would have to find this out from a love. conversation with like, friends or something, and nobody's going to... But I'm amazed I never heard of this cast being in a movie before. Right. Jack Lemmon, Peter Falk, and Elaine May are all individual, true bright lights of, of well, let's say, a certain type of comedy. And and I never knew well, that either of those two were in a movie as a duo, much less as a trio. So... It was a pleasure for me to watch this movie just on the, the thing of seeing those three actors who I all adore, all three of them separately working together. That was kind of a treat. Yeah, that's that's why I w- w- Paul and I were going to do a couple of these first uh, Harrison Ford movies, uh, you know, by ourselves because we're like, well, who are we going to get to watch Love? But as soon as I started watching this, I was like, I got to I got to show this to Steve and find out what he thinks of this because it's fascinating. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Yeah, I mean, Elaine May, amazingly, I mean, she really should have been in every movie. She's got that great voice that's just like, Harry, Harry, listen to me, Harry. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to discuss. And then she can get shrill and emotional, but she starts from that base of what, you know what she does? She sounds like a really good female DJ. Harry, our marriage is a failure. It has been a failure since the first day. I don't have one memory worth keeping. With a slightly husky voice, totally in control of her her instrument, her voice, which, you know, it should, should be said, Nichols and May had was a huge act in the in the early 60s on Broadway and Yeah, and, giant of album comedy. Well, it's interesting that that as as hot as they were as a as a team, and Jackson played the role on Broadway. And then they make the film, but then Mike Nichols doesn't direct it. So they just managed to avoid each other somehow. What would have been a powerhouse combo, I think. Well, this is 67, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess if you're going to make The Graduate, you should rather do that. Exactly. He made the right choice. (laughs) But it is a shame that Nichols and May never collaborated together on film because as performers, certainly would be great to have them in a movie together because they were such a crackerjack timing together. Um, but even to have had a movie where one of them performed and the other directed, just to have that, to have that on film to go, okay, here's a Nichols and May collaboration on film. But this is as close as we get. So she's she's assaying a character that he helped to create on the stage, and damn, she's brilliant. It should also be said, Alan Arkin played the role on Broadway that Jack Lemmon plays in this movie, not in the movie at all, but Peter Falk who Alan Arkin would go on to have a great uh, duo with on many films 
is in it instead, who wasn't in it on Broadway. So a couple of split duos here. And maybe that's why it bombed. <laughs> they just skirted the combinations that would have made it take off. Well, right. And I don't think Jack Lemon or Peter Falk or Elaine May at this time were themselves names that could open a movie. They were a little bit, they had to be in the right project and you had to care about the, the project and clearly no one cared about this. Yeah, it's interesting that they directed uh, whoever, our, who was our director? Clive Donner of Clive Donner. Pussycat fame. Yes, and the ah. nude bomb. Um, oh, later. He went on to make another bomb later. Um, he <laughs> kept working on Jack Lemon. it seems, to do this sort of pseudo-Jewish dialect. It, 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 like Jack Lemon was when he was Jack Lemon, he's just yeah, doing his thing. All that, you know, I love that stuff when he's stuttering and he's confused and he's frantic and he doesn't know what to do. But then it seemed like every once in a while he kind of came down into this Jackie Mason thing. And it was like, that's not sitting on you right, Jack. So it kind of I thought it didn't work for me. It, the funny thing is, is I felt this part is Jack Lemon to a T. This is Peter Falk to a T. This is Elaine May to a T. And the funny thing is they're all playing characters unlike any other character they've ever played. So it's, they brought their, I felt they brought their personalities to bear. I thought the material didn't help them. I thought the script didn't know when to stop and move on to the next thing. It, they kind of kept running the same jokes into the ground. I, I don't know if it's if it's the style of the time in a way. Like, you know, suddenly there's a trap door in his living room and underneath there he has a bric-a-brac shop. And it's just like randomness. That's absurdism on the same level that uh, Ian Esco might have given you okay. uh, or Edward Albee. It's no surprise you're mentioning playwrights, though, because I think that plays better on stage than it does. Well, this is a very play-y thing. Oh, and it should be mentioned, uh, didn't do the script, but the original play was written by Murray Shizgal, best friend of the struggling actor Dustin Hoffman uh, at this time, and also did uh, uncredited rewrites later, years later, on Tootsie. The Bill Murray character in that movie reportedly based largely on Murray Shizgal. And, and, and so if you remember, his character in Tootsie was a playwright, and he had kind of these far-out ideas of the kind of plays he wanted to do. I want a theater that's only opened when it rains. <laughs> <laughs> These are people who are alive on the planet only until they get dry and then they're leaving. Yeah, And it's like, <laughs> you what? You know, so uh, I think this Murray Shizgal guy, I don't know too much about him, but he has an out there sensibility, clearly. But also I, I relate this to like the sort of comedy of the time, like uh, th there's there's something like a, um, you know, a laugh in or something. I mean, it's a fast paced comedy. You've also got stuff like blow up and Alfie, which are, which are also like daring in new ways to approach film, you know, yeah. even film comedy in, in, in terms of Alfie and in terms of subject matter, in terms of tone, in terms of um, breaking the fourth wall. Um, so it, you know, you go from an era in the early sixties where film comedy is stuff like my Fair Lady and the Sound of Music and and to, okay, then we're, we start to get Terry Southern movies like Candy and the Magic Christian, which are weird. And kind of do whatever the hell they want at any given moment. All leads the way to things like Monty Python and Woody Allen and, and Mel Brooks. It's going to take us into the 70s with the absurdism a little bit more contained within some more well-written parameters. But they're still figuring that shit out right now. 
Yeah, but but this this play, even though yes, you might be, it, it might have come from a different theater movement, wants to be a part of that. I feel in the in the in terms of movie culture, and and also wants to be a part. It's becoming hep and happening. You know, this free love sort of thing is starting to bubble up. And while this play isn't trying to have a three way, it definitely wants to insinuate things like that. Well, it's very frank about sex too for its time. I yeah. mean, they're they're not they're not hiding the fact that these people are just like. Pretty radical. I just love the fact that like Jack Lemon has never been in love. He's given up on the idea of ever being in love. And all it takes is 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 feeling a woman's breast for the first time to just go, <laughs> oh my God, this is great. <laughs> it's almost like Navin R. Johnson from uh, The Jerk. I found my special purpose. purpose yeah. <laughs> and then they start singing on the Ferris wheel. That whole amusement park scene is just bizarre. And yet there's a sort of like uh, uh, like Caligula at Wally World vibe to it that they're going for, they don't hit it. And the Niagara Falls scene is that—that's where it didn't get ina- adapted enough as a play because in a play, well, obviously we're going to be at this scene for a long time. Uh, I don't know if this scene, that scene, the Niagara Falls scene, how much do you love me? Was in the play, but no, because the play all takes place in one location. It's all on the bridge that yeah. that he goes to jump off of, and then. Paul can back me up on this. It's been a while since I read the play, but I think the next two acts take place on that same bridge, just starts with a different person wanting to jump. Isn't that right? With an amount of time in between the offstage, right? That they got married and then there's a next scene and they're Exactly, but you hear all about all that in the exposition is revealed over the course of the act. Things that- like him having a job as an elevator operator is completely just, we got nothing. If you guys remember the, uh, the, the wonderful bit from being John Malkovich, where the, where the, the thing was on the seventh and a half floor. Yeah. So you had to stop the elevator in between floors to jump yeah. out. And then also the fact that in a, a truly classic movie, Jack Lemon was in the apartment. He falls in love with Shirley MacLaine, who is the elevator operator in the building that he is works oh. in. So it, those, both those associations came to me. But I think there's something to the fact that you said it worked because it was timed for how a movie works. And the scene where they one up each other at Niagara Falls with the horrible things they do to one another works on on stage because there's just a different type of timing called for and allowed right. uh, that you can milk. You know, a movie, you're always thinking, where are we going next? How can this keep from being static theater? You know, there's a certain amount of staticness built into it just because it's going to be one location. It's going to be a set number of characters. But yeah, with mo- sometimes movies are better off if you're adapting a play to just go, all right, we know we're going to be static. But this one, yeah, it doesn't know how to be an adaptation of a play quite right, I don't think. Talked about like not putting Nichols and May together and all these other side steps it took. But somehow it did bring together Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round stars, Harrison Ford <laughs> and Severn Darden yes. and Nina Wayne. All yes. three, I mean, with different director. For I mean, maybe it's the studio system at work. Is Nina Wayne's Milt's girlfriend? Is that who Linda, Nina Wayne yeah. is? She's an invented character for the movie, too. I mean, they talk about her in the play, but she. you would think this movie was written as a quartet. Or, I mean, the play was a quartet, but it wasn't. It was a trio. Yeah. And so she's a completely invented character, which is kind of amazing. Why did she not have a huge career? Two movies in were like, Nina Wayne is great, and next week, Nina Wayne is great, and then you don't get a whole lot. Was she great in Dead Heat on American? I've never seen that. Yeah, I mean, she got to play a dopey, uh, you know, girl gets taken advantage of by just being sort of 60s. This movie doesn't give me any indication of whether she's good or not. She just, she she plays the Barbie doll. Yeah, she's 
She's played for the stereotype. She's more that in Dead Heat, but either way, she played that well, and I thought, well, certainly back in the 60s, she could have made more movies, but uh, did not. But let's talk about the star of the movie. Of course. Harrison Ford. This, uh, this movie centers around Harrison Ford. Let's let's play his scene real quick. Hi. What a tasteless thing to do. I mean, could you, do you want more from Harrison Ford? Now, let I mean, me just say, but because I, I, I had told Adam when he sent me the link for love, I said, <laughs> now don't, because I, I told him, I read the play years ago, so I know vaguely what I'm getting in for. But I know it's a three-person play, so I don't know what Harrison Ford's role is. Please don't spoil it for me. There's no fucking way you could spoil that. <laughs> Blink and you miss it, my God. But that that's what told me, oh, these guys are doing Every Harrison Every Ford Harrison Ford Ford day. <laughs> wow. It's so funny. I told Steve, uh, you know, I told Steve about this movie and, and he got interested and he goes, okay, I'll watch it. And then he sends me a text and he goes, don't tell me what part Harrison Ford plays. And I'm like, I feel like I'm pranking Steve right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to get to the line. Hi. Hi. Steve, go watch Geely. Harrison Punch. Ford's in it. Promise. <laughs> but for those who uh, didn't, who couldn't tell what was going on in that scene, basically, because uh, the audio only, you may not know. But uh, Jack Lemmon is with Elaine, Elaine May in a car, and they run a stop sign, a stoplight, but stop themselves, and then back up back to where they're supposed to have stopped, and they run into Harrison Ford's car, who then walks up and says hi. Harrison Ford is making out in the front seat. Yeah, and he, and he, and he walks up and says hi, and Jack Lemmon looks at him. He punches Jack Lemmon in the face, goes back in his car, drives away. <laughs> That's it. To me, I mean... Doesn't he express I, I, annoyance at being run into first? Like, don't we get to see a little a flash of Harrison Ford anger? Yes, yeah. we do. We yeah, do. That's why I thought it was going to be like a full-on confrontation for at least a, a minute or two. Get out of the car, old man. Let me fight you. It was like, God, really? Yeah, you have Harrison Ford in your movie, and that's all you're – oh, they don't know him yet. They don't know him yet. Now, they tell me tell yet. me about this. Do you think it's the studio system at work that they just, ah, stick him in this movie, then stick him in this movie? Or does Clive Donner really see him be a mousy – uh, bellhop in Dead Heat and go, oh, I think he's the guy for this. Get me that mousy bellhop. We're going to show some <laughs> range of this mousy bellhop. What else is he capable of? If he can do that. Well, and, then, and the other thing I found really odd about that, just quite apart from the consideration of Harrison Ford himself, is they brought a hippie couple into this and didn't do anything with it. Like, the, I mean, they're clearly hippies. Yes, and that, that's and I think that's all throughout this movie. They're like, please make this a little more for the kids. You know, for kids. Make Nina Wayne. Uh, she does yoga. This brand new thing all the kids are doing. You know. But they so they commit to it so little. But they don't. They don't even. Have, they don't even have him say, "Man." He's <laughs> like, "Hey, man, you knocked my you knocked my load, and my chick is all sort of like that's got true." My, Aquarius out of alignment now. Although the thing is, now we're taking this microcosm of, of of three very small things that Harrison Ford does in this movie and looking at them through a microscope. I do love the hand slam on the back of the car because there is a, <laughs> there's, I can sense a Harrison Ford anger to that. Just piss me off. I, I feel that, that a lot of Harrison Ford does come out in the slam of his hand onto that car when he first sees the dent. <laughs> it was also kind of, because it was a car, I also had that sense of like, oh, hey, it's Bob Falfa just a few years earlier, you know? True. We got Bob Falfa. We have Harrison Ford behind a car. He was not in a car in Dead Heat. So now we've gone one step closer to Bob Falfa. Yeah. And we have a very historic thing for Harrison Ford. A very big Harrison Ford first. First punch. 
first time he punches we someone. Can throw that on the board. The Harrison Ford punch count, which we started last week, which was zero, now moves up to one. Congratulations. One. I found this awkward the way they even staged it. So he comes up to the car. <laughs> he sees that Elaine May is behind the wheel. Yeah. And, and like, what's the logic that you're going to punch the guy in the situation no matter whether the woman was driving? Did he think it was a British car with the steering wheel on the left? It's like no, there was no uh, earthly reason for him to punch Jack Lemon. He has to punch all the way across Elaine May to get to Why him. Why would you not open the door or go around to the other side? Or It's just like it's a Look, scene no one believed in, really. I mean, it's so terribly shot. Except Harrison Ford. He well, of course. It. I mean, I don't blame him at all, but I like. But that's the point. He's ready to do so much more for you. He's ready. He got the right look. I, I do. It is a pretty good hapless Jack Lemon joke that he walks up to the driver and punches past her to just punch the hapless guy. And like, of course, he's going to be the one that gets punched in that situation. He did nothing. <laughs> it is great, and it is a good callback to his original thing, which was the thing that first threw him in the tailspin, which was. The dog comes up to me in the park and alone of everyone else, he lifts his leg up and pees on me. So this had the same thing of like, I'm the one who gets punched just because the world is my banana peel. But how funny is it if you ask a bunch of people who the first person Harrison Ford ever punches in a movie, a a career that's going to have a lot of punches that like who's the first person i mean people no it happens to be jack lemon is the very first person that harrison ford punches Ow. in his career that's hilarious that was worth this whole experience of watching this movie yeah you should pause <laughs> on that and consider all the ramifications so let me round table this then the next question we always ask uh give me a percentage each of you how harrison ford is he in this what what what's the scale? Are, are we saying Indiana Jones is a ten, and the guy, the bellboy in in Dead Heat on a Merry Go Round is a one? Or? I'm saying Harrison Ford is a nebulous connotation to a person that you can now but may attach to to this. You're, character. you're on the right track, an Air Force One or something. This is real Harrison Ford. It's so up hard there. to tell because they give him so little rope to even display a personality. I mean, I'd say it's I'd say it's a good deal of Harrison Ford, but muted, you know. It was like 60%? Um, I think 57%. I think in a very, very short, compressed amount of time, he gets up to like 70% Harrison Ford pretty quickly. I say 90. I say 90%. Scowl? I, I was on the low side, but I was I was trying to I was trying to thread the needle of like, uh, but yeah, 70. You got a punch? You got the slam? Oh, scowl and punches a guy. Oh, in scowl, a short yeah, amount of scowl time. too. Right. Yeah. But he's, he's not particularly charming or funny or, or, or even morally he may have been morally correct punching jack lemon in the face he's like you said he skipped the girl he he punched the guy that's noble he was making out with this girl they weren't paying attention either i don't know he's even gone kind of jack ryan here so i i I think i don't know if i go 90 but i see paul's justification i'll up mine to 65 let's say 65 70 and 90 all right we've covered in his uh in his list of uh definitive list of harrison ford essentials then he covers uh a punching a guy, and uh, a bit of a growl. A shout, you know, in the terms of does he shout or growl? It's kind of a scowl more than a growl. But to your point, maybe ninety is high because he doesn't check a lot of boxes. But the ones he checks, I mean, it's a right on. I mean, it, it, again, in a short amount of time to knock off two Harrison Ford things to look, you know, the scowl and then punch a guy and right. then out. Now, what about this? 
because here's 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 one that didn't get to develop, but it suggested the uh, the the romantic, the dashing Harrison, because he's with a girl. Remember, he's making uh-huh. out with a girl, you know. So good. he's established as that. He, I'm sure he wasn't in Dead Heat on America. Run. He's right. established as a romantic present. Right. This is a good point. <laughs> Fredo's going to leave without giving you a goodbye kiss. I, he's not a romantic lead for a lot of his earlier years until Han Solo comes. So this is like. Um, romantic lead Harrison Ford that he's not going to really get to explore for a little while, but we get to see it in this movie. All right, Steve, before, before we go, 1996. So you're trying to stump me again, right? Cause that was the other year where he <laughs> didn't have a movie, but devil's own, the devil's own with Brad Pitt was supposed to come out that year. Oh, wouldn't that have got a December release for Oscar consideration? Yeah. Mm. Push, push to push to spring. But yeah. of course, you know, Woody Allen never disappoints. So that's uh, uh, everyone says I love you. His only movie was Goldie Hawn. Oh, hey, the other definitive uh, uh, Ford list, Righteous Anger. I say we got that in this too. Oh, Vince right. Maids, yeah. We got we got a Righteous Anger. Certainly, I don't know how righteous it is. Well, okay, yeah, that's righteous he, is becomes his trademark, but yeah, he was wronged, and he makes it right. Anger, we got anger. Jack Lemon in the face. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, uh, thanks for uh, listening to the fantastic Ford Fiesta show launching here. The fantastic Ford Fiesta. And um, and Steve, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And check everything we're up uh, up to at themovieguys.net. At the Movie Guys everywhere, there is social media. Adam, is this series going as well as you'd hoped? I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. It's good.